So we are going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 15, if you want to open your Bibles. Um, I also wanted to let you guys know, uh, we rescheduled the, the men's breakfast because uh, uh, we're going to have Carrie Jo uh, Wagner's memorial service here on the 5th of November. So if you knew Carrie Jo, uh, or even if you didn't, uh, you're welcome to be here. Um, she was such an amazing light of Jesus. And uh, was they were only at this church for maybe a little over a year and it just felt, feels like they've been here forever. Um, she's someone who is uh, just running with Jesus all the way to the finish line. And uh, it was just amazing uh, to be a part of that with her. And uh, so, yeah, that's going to be on uh, Saturday, November 5th at 2 p.m. And then uh, the reception's going to be at uh, her and Jeff's house uh, just off of Scarcello, uh, still in Rathdrum. So, again, we are in Romans chapter 15. And I'll just share little bit of knowledge about me. When I was young, I wanted to play the guitar really bad. Well, I can tell you after more than 30 years of hard work and practice, I can now play the guitar really bad. <laughs> and, you know, I had these dreams of growing up and just shredding the fretboard, going all the way up and down and doing all this amazing stuff. And yeah, that didn't happen. I, I can play a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's not great. Uh, but, you know, I really think there's very few people in this world who take something on, you know, whether it be a hobby, uh, a sport, or maybe even it's a career path or a path of education, um, just whatever people get into. I think most people do not go into something with the intention of being unsuccessful, you know, I, I don't think I've ever heard somebody tell me, you know, I want to learn how to hunt, but I don't want to be good at it. I never want to get anything. I just maybe want to go out in the woods, get lost, get, get cold and hungry and tired, maybe shoot myself in the foot. That's really all I want out of this. You know, I've never heard anybody say that before. Um, maybe some people succeed at doing that, but uh, that's usually not the intention when they get into it. You know, people, when they get into something, uh, they, they usually want to be successful. Now, maybe their goals are a little more reasonable. You know, if somebody picks up a guitar for the first time, maybe their thought isn't, I want to be better than John Mayer. Uh, but maybe their thought is, hey, I just want to learn how to play a couple chords. I want to learn a couple songs. And that's a more reasonable level. Um, but most people don't go into it with the idea of wanting to be unsuccessful. Um, you know, and I'm sure most of us, you know, in, in the spiritual realm, I'm sure most of us didn't receive Jesus into our heart and then immediately think to ourselves, I want to be a weak Christian. You know, I want to be tossed around by the world, not really sure if I'm even saved or not. I don't want any peace or security, you know, and, and I really, I want to feel defeated all the time. I don't think any of us came to the Lord and had that as the end goal of our salvation, of, of what we want to get out of life. Um, but again, I mean, sadly, uh, there, there are some people who, who fail to receive the, the absolute peace and joy that, that God gives. And they, even though they're saved, they go through their Christian life feeling that way and defeated. But we don't want to be like that. We want to be strong. 
The goal is to be strong Christians. So in this passage, we look at what it means to be a strong Christian, what it means to overcome in the name of Jesus. So we're going to look at what, is, what does that look like in real life? Um, in, in Romans chapter 15, we'll start off in verse 1. It says, Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Let's pray. Lord, we need your strength. We need your wisdom this morning. As we search these scriptures, we know that these things are spiritually discerned, and only your Holy Spirit can truly reveal these things to our hearts in a meaningful and effective way. And so, God, we invite you to do that this morning. We invite you to be our teacher, that it would be you who speaks the word of God to our hearts. And, Lord, open our hearts that we could receive it. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So it starts off and says, we who are strong. Now, Paul, as he wrote this uh, through the Holy Spirit, he had just finished Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, the titles in my Bible say the law of liberty and the law of love. But really what it's about, it's, it's talking about uh, what he calls doubtful things. And what that means is something that would be completely permissible for somebody to do. I mean, before God with a clear conscience that they can do something and for somebody else, because their conscience is convicting them, that it would be sin for them to do. So you can have the same action uh, done by two different people. One of them is uh, completely guilt-free and clear before the Lord, and then the other person is convicted and guilty of sin in doing that. So that's really, um, in, in Romans chapter 14, he, he talks about whether it be eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. We don't deal with that a lot. I don't think Super One carries uh, sacrificed beef, um, at least not anymore. So, <laughs> but uh, we, don't, we don't really deal with that. But there's many other things that could fit into that context of something that would be okay for one person, but not for the other. And he talks about, he says, I will not destroy with my food the one for whom Christ died. So he's talking about, as a stronger believer, yeah, maybe we do have the freedom to do something, but because of somebody who would be weaker, who could be stumbled by that, we're going to lay our rights aside, leave them at home, and, and lay our lives down in love for uh, the weaker brother. So that's kind of the context of where he starts in this and says, we who are strong. So we look at this. Okay, how do you know if you're strong or not? Well, in the physical world, it's usually pretty easy to tell if somebody's strong. You know, it's somebody who looks the part and uh, can act the part. And, uh, you know, we had uh, my son, Matt, one of his best friends, his uh, best friend's parents owned a gym. And these two, I mean, you could tell from a mile away, they were ripped, they were buff, they were huge. And it never crossed my mind to think about, I wonder if he can lift a bag of groceries. I'm, I'm just not sure. You know, he, he just had huge muscles and you just knew, oh yeah, he's strong. It was evident. In the world, that's evident. Now, in the spiritual realm, it's a little bit different because you can have people who look strong. 
who, who fit the bill. You know, they, they know how to speak the Christianese language. You know, they, they show up to services. They, they dress right. They look right. They have the right bumper stickers on their car. And yet when life hits them square in the face, they get knocked to the ground and their life falls apart. I've seen people who just look like the perfect Christians from the outside who go through divorces, who have their lives completely fall apart, and some of them even walking away from the Lord altogether. And, and so you, you see that, and it's like, well, wait a minute. Maybe the person wasn't as strong as we thought. Um, and so when we look at this, we look at one of the characteristics of somebody who is strong is, is they bear the weaknesses of those who have no strength or who have lost their strength. Um, they're not only concerned about carrying their own weight, but they carry the weight of others. They, they help others in life. And uh, as a dad, there was many, many times, you know, my, my kids, I don't have to carry them anymore. Uh, probably the only time is when they jump on my back and they're trying to submit me and wrestle me and things like that. Uh, but, you know, I'm not carrying them around much anymore. But uh, when they were little... And we would go on hikes, we would go out in the woods, or if we went to theme parks or snowboarding or whatever it was, there were many, many times where my kids would hit a wall and they had no more strength left. And I mean, they're laying on the ground and you go to grab their arm to pick them up to get them walking again and they're literally just flopped and you're just dragging them. And then you just have to pick them up and carry them. And, and again, that's really, I had to bear my own weight and their weight at the same time. And this is what you see a strong Christian doing, is when somebody falls down around them, they're, they're not uh, belittling them or anything like that. They, they help them bear the weight. They strengthen them. And they're going to reach down to those who are in, in need. And we see after this, it says that we have an obligation. If you are a strong Christian, that you have an obligation to do this. This isn't just if you feel a specific gifting or calling toward this. This is any one of us who calls upon the name of Jesus who are strong in the faith. This is our obligation. This is our duty. This is our job. We're called to this. And uh, this would be kind of like if you came up on an accident and you're able-bodied and there is somebody in need, then it's your duty. It's your obligation to help. My, uh, my best friend came upon an accident. He drives for a living. He does uh, mobile furniture repair. And uh, he was driving on a freeway once where there was a crash. The guy was knocked out. The car caught on fire. And uh, he had to go in and pull this guy out. Um, and, and he said it was really strange because months later, he was able to meet the guy who he saved his life. And he said it was so weird because, you know, there's... You know, words like hero going around. He goes, I, what was I going to do? Stand there and watch the guy burn? He had an obligation to help him. And, and that's really what we're looking at here with a strong Christian. If somebody is weak around you and needs help, needs to be rescued, it is your obligation, your duty to help them out. We're called to do this. Um, however, you know, there's so many times in churches we see the exact opposite happening. The rather than the weaker brother being helped, they're despised. They're looked down upon instead of being lifted up. And honestly, 
I think that that is one of the keys to why so many people in churches put on this mask, this facade. You know, sometimes it's just out of a matter of pride, but I think other times it's out of a fear of being rejected that they want to pretend like they've got everything together. And that's why you have uh, people and families who are like what I described earlier, where it looks like they're hitting on all points right, and yet then their life blows apart and you realize, well, maybe it wasn't all there. And, and I honestly think that this is a, a big key to it, is when the church and the strong Christians are operating as they're supposed to, then people are okay with saying, I need help. I'm not doing great. And can you pray for me? Um, I just love it when, when people bring prayer requests and they're open and honest about, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help. I need prayer. And we don't want you guys to carry it on your own. All of us needs help at some time. Romans chapter 12 calls each one of us. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. In that same chapter, it also said, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. So if we're strong, we're going to be okay with getting down in the dirt with somebody who is having a really hard time with life. We're not going to, it's usually when we're thinking of ourselves more highly than we should, then we're going to care about what people around us think. And we're not going to want to associate with the humble. We're only going to want to associate with the super spiritual because that makes us look more super spiritual. You get what I'm saying? And when somebody who is truly strong in the Lord it has a calling on their life and they see somebody in need, they're not going to care what somebody else thinks of them. They're going to reach down. They're going to get in the dirt. They're going to help them out. And they're going to strengthen them up. And, and they're not going to care what people think about them. And, and that is a wonderful thing when you can get to that point where you don't care at all what people think about you. Where you're only concerned with pleasing God and being honoring to him. And beyond that, I don't care. <laughs> and, and it's not to be arrogant or rude to people. It means that we're seeking to be pleasing to one and one alone. Um, but speaking of pleasing, it says here not to please ourselves. So this is one thing that each and every Christian needs to get straight in their heart and in their mind. Our life is not about getting everything we ever dreamed of. Uh, the American dream, the life, or the uh, pursuit of, of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, I can't even talk this morning, uh, but you know, it, it really is. It's so deceptive. The pursuit of happiness. There's a reason it's called a pursuit. Because you never actually get it. Uh, Ecclesiastes calls it a chasing after the wind. You know, I don't know if any of you guys ever been out there and actually caught the wind. I haven't caught it yet. Uh, but uh, that's, that's really what this is about. And there's some people out there who have, you know, just chased these selfish desires their whole life and, and maybe actually got them and got the, the money, the fame, the power that they were seeking and then they realize that it's, they're just as empty as they were before. And, and so this world was not created solely for us and our pleasure, even though God gives us a chance to have pleasure and to be fulfilled. But if we have that as the main goal, 
um, then we've got it totally backwards. Um, and it really is the exact opposite of what so many people think today. Uh, most everybody believes that the purpose of this life is that we would be pleased as much as possible, that we find our pleasure however we can. It doesn't matter. There's no rules. There's no boundaries. You just go out and find uh, the max amount of pleasure that you can in this life. You put yourself first, and if you do that, then, then you're golden. Um, but it, it, the scripture says the exact opposite. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. And so I do, I do love that, though, that he acknowledges that, that we need to look out for our own interests. We also need to look out for the interests of others. You know, and what I'm talking about, um, so when my wife was, was pregnant with our, our firstborn, uh, we went through these uh, Bradley classes where, um, you know, it was about natural childbirth and all this. And, um, and, but they were encouraging the husbands, take care of yourselves because, you know, you're going to be helping your wife. You need to take care of yourself. You need to eat. You need to drink water. You need to do all those things because if you're solely focused on helping your wife, then you're not going to be any good to her because you're going to be, you know, in a pile in the corner. And, and so I was like, okay, got it, got it. Uh, my wife goes into labor. I totally forgot that. I didn't eat or drink anything. And um, she, had to, she had back labor, so she had to be massaged like a whole lot. And so when the doctor came in, I got up and I walk around and I'm holding her hand. And I'm like, you're going to be okay. And, and then in my mind, I'm still holding her hand. But I look and she's over there. And I've got arms around me and I look and it's this tiny little nurse and we're both on the floor together. <laughs> like, what in the world? I complete, I went out cold. I totally passed out. And so I was of no help to her as she's struggling in childbirth. <laughs> and and uh, they said, well, you're lucky because uh, a guy this morning passed out and hit his head on one of the tables and had to be rushed down into the ER for, you know, getting a bunch of stitches in his head. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well... Thank you, Lord, for that. But, you know, the, the point is, in, in the word it says, the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops, meaning that, that you, can't, you can't get any more crops if you're falling down because you're hungry and faint and, and you can't even walk. So really that's what this acknowledges is that we're to look out for our own interests, but we're also to put right up there with that the interests of others. And it says from there that even, even Christ did not please himself. He did not come here to seek a life of comfort. This life was not about his pleasure. In, uh, you know, I was actually praying about, all right, what am I supposed to teach? Corey asked me you know, a couple of months ago if I would take this Sunday. And uh, I was thinking about John chapter 4, which was the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, I'm like, ah, I don't know. But anyway, um, just a reference from that is that he, he was ministering to this Samaritan woman. And then she went into town and he was waiting for her to come back. And his disciples come up to him and it's well past lunchtime. And they're like, hey, we need to go into the city because you need to get something to eat. And his response to the disciples was, my food is to do the will of him who sent me 
and to finish his work. So that's where he derived his strength and his passion and his energy to continue on. Continue on. It was by doing the will of God, doing what God had sent him to do. That's where he got his energy. And in Psalm 37, 4, it tells each one of us, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. So if your desire is in the Lord, then doing his will is going to give you pleasure. It will make you happy to make God happy. And then, you know, when, when it, you just set your heart toward doing God's will and making God happy, then he just blesses us left and right with joy, with peace, and he outblesses us whenever we try to bless him. In Jeff and Carrie Joe's home, they have a, uh, one of their just little dish towels, their hand towels, that says, I love you more. So there. <laughs> and God does that with us. We try and bless God, and God says, I bless you more. So there. You're not going to outbless me. You can't. He's infinite. <laughs> so, um, but that's really one of the things is, is if we seek to please God, he will give us pleasure. And it says from there, the insults of those who insulted you fell on me. And it's talking about Jesus taking our insults. And, you know, when, when he was here on this earth, he was able to put those things in their proper perspective. You know, he was reproached, hated, mocked, ridiculed, physically beaten, tortured, and then eventually killed. And he's hanging there on the cross, and he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. He's praying for them as they're torturing and killing him. And it's like you look at that and go, how? How? Who would have the strength to do that? And it doesn't come from ourselves. And it comes from putting things in their proper perspective. He was able to have that clear vision of knowing that these people were reacting against him out of their flesh, out of their sin, out of their hatred. And he was paying for all of that upon the cross. He was able to put that into perspective and it really is such a freeing thing when we're able to do that same thing. When, when you're trying to share the love of Jesus with somebody and you get mocked for it or ridiculed, or even if you're trying to help a weaker Christian up, guess what? Weaker Christians don't always act like strong Christians. So sometimes you try and help them and you get bit for it. Uh, that was... Uh, a pastor a long time ago said, that's one thing about tending sheep. Sheep bite sometimes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that can happen. And so what do we do? We give that to the Lord. And again, it's so freeing when you can separate yourself from the situation and not be personally offended when somebody attacks you for something. You can just remove your own feelings, your own insecurities and fears and things like that. You can remove all of that from the situation and allow the Lord just to take that. And then you can freely love this person. And it's not like that whole, you know, where you kill him with kindness, we're going to heap coals of burning fire upon their head. And oh yeah, that'll get them. Just kill him with kindness. And, and no, no, not that. <laughs> not the right heart. I'm talking about being freed to where you're genuinely 
telling somebody that you love them and that you care for them and that you're praying for them. So uh, that's, that's what God wants to do in us. Let's continue on in verse 4. It says, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. And so... You know, as I was talking about being a dad, carrying the kids around, uh, we can get tired too. I mean, when, when we're out on long hikes or, man, you, you go to Disneyland, you're walking like 16 miles in a day or something like that. Even dads get tired and moms get tired and, and you're having to bear their weights and, and you're already tired. You're already without strength. And so where do we get that strength? Spiritually speaking, it can be taxing helping other people all the time. And uh, there are times where, man, I'll tell you, on Sundays, I'm more wiped out than I am if I would have been out in the woods cutting trees down all day. I mean, it just really, uh, I, I'll tell you, I love Sunday naps. <laughs> I do. And I'm not napping every day. I mean, as I get older, I, I think I enjoy them more than I used to. They, they used to just be a little more necessary. Now I'm just looking forward to them. But uh you know, I'll tell you that, uh, you know, reaching out and, and being poured out, it, it's taxing. And so how do you fill up? How do you recharge? How do you get that energy again? And it says right here, we have hope through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures so that we seek the Lord and we find it in the word. And, uh, you know, I've had so many times of opening the, the Psalms and just being empty, and just having nothing, having no strength, and you open that, and you feel like just in a couple of minutes that, okay, I'm recharged, let's go. I don't know about you guys, I do well with power naps. So I, I can have like a 10-minute nap, and it does better for me than a two-hour nap. I mean, I'll, I'll take a two-hour nap, and I'll feel wiped out, and I can't do anything the rest of the day. I sleep for 10 minutes, and I'm like recharged and good to go. And sometimes that happens through the scriptures too. In fact, there's a lot of psalms that start with the feeling of, where are you, God? I'm all alone. This is my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. What's the point? And then the psalm ends with just joy and glorious praise for all of God's benefits and everything that he does. And so that's one of those things that the scriptures gives us. And he's also calling us through this that, we would live in harmony with one another. That's one of the things that God wants to accomplish in us. Um, and just to be clear, this does not mean that we have to agree on everything. Um, it means that we would agree together for a common goal, the unity of the body and the furtherance of the gospel. And it's 100% possible for us to have amazing, sweet times of fellowship and praise and worship with people that don't believe the same things that we believe. Maybe they don't even go to a Calvary Chapel. Imagine that. But uh, no, it's, it's one of those things where I, I've been on missions trips and outreaches and service projects and, and been able to just minister with other believers and, and uh, worship with other believers and just have the most amazing sweet time of fellowship because there's one and the same spirit working through all of us. 
And uh, now it's one of those things, though, where the major doctrines have to be on point. There's major doctrines, there's minor doctrines. There's minor doctrines like, you know, let's say whether you're pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pan-trib. I mean, uh, there's many different viewpoints of eschatology, of end times theology. Um, we don't have to agree on those things to have fellowship together in the Lord. However, if you're telling me that Jesus was not God and just some spirit brother of Lucifer or even, you know, just a really good guy who, who gave us a great example in life, um, then there's no fellowship there uh, because that is an essential doctrine that we cannot do without. Um, I heard one pastor a long time ago talk about, you know, that the, these doctrines are like springs in a trampoline, you know, that's... Uh, that you can take one out and you can still bounce on the trampoline. You're going to be totally fine. Um, you know, but you know, we can make an analogy to be whatever we want it to be. Uh, actually, it's more like uh, there is a chain holding you over the pit of hell. And if you take out one of those links of that chain, guess what? You fall. It doesn't matter which link it is. Those are the essential doctrines. And the non-essential doctrines, yeah, sure, we can call those springs in a trampoline. You can take them or leave them and still have fellowship and bounce on the trampoline and have fun. But uh, the essential doctrines, we have to keep on point. Now, as we're talking about harmony and we're talking about unity of the body, um, you, you also have to discuss division as well. And this is something that I have seen just time and time again, especially I, I believe God is doing something wonderful in our church right now. We're just seeing so many great things. And, and Satan is just always looking for a foothold. He's always looking for a way in to come in and conquer and divide. Um, let, let's read this in, in Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, there's not many things in the Bible that it says that God hates. This is one of those things where it says explicitly God hates this. Uh, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. In Revelation chapter 12, uh, one of the titles that's given to Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses, he divides, he separates. And, uh, you know, if we're doing this amongst the body, we're not doing it by the power of God. God does not strengthen anyone to cause division within his church. Um, I'm not saying things don't need to be called out and dealt with, but that's different than division. Um, and it's completely possible for us to be born again and saved and yet become agents or ministers of Satan doing his work without actually being Satanists. You know, when we do these things and we tear the body apart and divide, we're basically getting, giving Satan a day off. He doesn't have to work that hard that day. He just sits back in his easy chair and watches us tear each other to pieces and says, all right, have fun. I'll get to work tomorrow. And so we, would, we don't want to do that. We want to do the exact opposite and love one another and uh, frustrate his plans. Um, and it says after that, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. And... 
this is the purpose of all of us, is, is to be able to, with one mind, one voice, be able to worship the Lord together. Um, you know, and we, we think of this in, in the physical realm, um, that if, if you've got a stomach that's, I'm mad at the lungs and I just don't want to work today, your body's not going to have a very good time that day. If your stomach just decides it doesn't want to work, uh, the body as a whole is going to suffer. And, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about that, you know, the, there shouldn't be any schism in the body. Uh, but when the body is operating as one system, one whole unit, um, then there's peace and there's pleasure in, in everything else. And it's amazing that when you decide that you don't care if you get glory or praise or recognition or even thanks what God is able to do with us sometimes. You know, there was one times where God really uh, pointed out to me that, that uh, I had selfish motives in doing good. And what it was is uh, it was around Christmas time. I get out of the car, uh, going into a grocery store, and I look down on the ground as I got out of the car. There's a $20 bill, $20 bill on the ground. I pick it up, and I'm looking around, and I don't see anybody near me. I'm like, okay, well, I get up and I walk around uh, toward the back of my car and I see a huge stack of money like that. It was probably five or $600. And I pick it up and it felt like, you know, there's a hidden camera on me somewhere <laughs> looking around. I don't see anybody. And I'm like, um, okay. <laughs> so I walk into the grocery store and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I just hand it to a cashier, they could be tempted to just put it in their pocket and somebody says, hey, I lost some money. They go, oh, sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. Too bad. Um, and so I'm like, I don't want to just hand it over to somebody. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I'll go to the customer service counter. I'll give them my name and number. And if they find the person or if somebody comes asking for money, then, uh, you know, they can call me. And, uh, and then I look at the customer service counter and it was around Christmas time and there was like, 15 people in line. I'm like, all right, I'm not doing that right now. I'll just call the manager later on, leave a voicemail, all this. But I'm like, you know, first I'm going to walk back outside. So I walk outside and I see a guy who looks really worried. And I was like, aha, I found him. So I walk up to him and I said, uh, are you missing something? He goes, yeah, I just lost a whole bunch of money. I said, here you go. Merry Christmas. And he grabs it from me, doesn't even look me in the eyes, and goes, oh, good, and turns around. And I'm like, oh, good? What? <laughs> really? Like, not even a thank you? Not even here's 40 bucks or something like that? It was just like, oh, good, and walks away. And God just kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, is that why you did it? You wanted a reward? You wanted a thank you? That's why you did what was right in my eyes? Like, I guess I did, <laughs> you know, but uh, it was one of those times where God really revealed to me like, oh yeah, I was, you know, maybe I wasn't doing it for that reason, but I sure wanted that. I sure wanted that accolade or, you know, him to say, oh my goodness, you're one of the greatest people that's ever lived. Wow. Thank you so much. Here, have all the money. You know, <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, but God convicted me at that point. But uh, it's, it really is one of those things where when we don't care about who gets the recognition or when we do care about who gets the recognition and we want to make sure that it's God himself, then he's able to do amazing things.
And then let's, let's read verse 7, and we'll close with that. It says, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. So this part, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you. How did Christ accept you? I don't know about you, but God did not wait until I was completely perfect before he said, okay, I'll accept you. No, he took me in the exact opposite. In Romans 5.8, it says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We came to him tattered and broken, stinking and ugly, and he received us. He welcomed us. And I, I do remember when, when I felt God calling me back to him. I was living in a life of, you know, just sin and wickedness and walking away from the Lord. I knew the truth of Jesus' love for me. I was saved, and yet I was a prodigal son running away from him. But as I felt him calling me back to him, I just remember going, okay, God, I'll come back to you, but I'm going to get my life straight first. You know, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to quit doing all these bad things. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a presentable life to accept. And I'm sure you guys could hear, you know, the laugh of heaven that day because God's like, okay, good luck with that. <laughs> Have fun. And, uh, you know, it never happened. So he had to break me down further and further until I came to him just a messy pile of goo and saying, this is all I got, God. I got nothing. He goes, perfect. <laughs> That's all you need. You know, there's a, a line in a song that I absolutely love that says, if I've come without a thing, then I've come with all I need. And, and so that's, that's what God wants from us. But also, that's how we're re to receive other people. You know, it says, just as Christ accepted you, that we're to accept one another. That we don't need to have the, all these list of pre-qualifications or anything like that, that if somebody's a brother in Jesus, then, then we accept them and that we love them and, uh, and, and leave our, you know, preconceptions aside. Uh, but it says here, this is to the glory of God. That's, that's the purpose. That, that's the reason behind doing all of this, is that God would be glorified. When believers are able to be unified and loving each other in spirit and in truth, it's to God's glory. The angels witness it. The earth witnesses it. Um, it brings him glory to seeing us loving each other. Um, Jesus told us, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he didn't stop there. That was in John 13. And then in John 17, this is, you know, just hours before he went to the cross, he was praying to the Father about you and about me. Check this out. He says, I, I pray not only for these meaning his disciples, but he says, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. And it says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, and here it is, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory which you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. Again, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So we, when we are truly operating as God has called us to operate, to love one another, to lay ourselves aside, 
you know, to, to sacrifice ourselves and, and lay that up as a living sacrifice, God is glorified and, and the, the world sees it. And you may think that our world is so dark now that nobody sees it, but they do. In fact, the darker the darkness becomes, the lighter, the, bright, the brighter the light shines. And, and so in this world, as we're loving each other and, and doing exactly what the world is out there doing, because you can see that the, the world is just devouring its own. I mean, you, you see in so many of these different organizations, one person steps one, one foot to the right and they just instantly get devoured, canceled or whatever. And, uh, you know, the, when the world sees us loving each other, even when stum- somebody stumbles and falls, even when uh, they spit hatred at us and, and we respond with love, it stands out. And, and it's marked and it's noted in the minds of people, even if they don't necessarily come to faith, it still brings God glory because he's being shown as making a life that's different. Um, so God has called us to love. And that's basically, you know, if uh, I was to put the, the synopsis of this message into three words, it's love one another because that's what God has called us to do. And we need his strength to do that. So let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the love that you have given to us. And uh, God, the, the more that I think about the love that you've shown me, the more I, I just realize how unworthy I am of it. And, and so, God, I just pray that you would give us that love for one another. Lord, not because they deserve it, but because you have loved us and called us to do this. Uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, your church would be a light within the community. Lord, that others would see, and maybe though they disagree with many of our viewpoints and things that we do, Lord, may they not be able to deny the love that we have for one another and the love that we have for you. God, we need your strength to do that. We can't do it on our own, so we ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us. And Lord, that you would lead us and guide us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.